In the age of Forever 21 and fast fashion, it is hard to find responsible and ethical, yet stylish clothing companies. However, one Raleigh designer, Jenny Wa, is changing the way North Carolinians look at fashion. Wa is the creator of the fashion line Loyal, which focuses on being socially responsible, conscientious consumption, and making a positive impact with each purchase. Loyal is a minority and woman-run operation founded on the ideal of sustainably renewing the textile industry in Appalachia. They donate $2 out of every sale to local and global causes because as Jenny said, I believe people want to connect with what they buy and put a face to a name. There's too much power concentrated in the hands of a few big companies, creating an overall sense of anonymity that is unsettling. I think we're witnessing an awakening of socially conscious consumers who are going out of their way to support brands that contribute to society, share behind the scenes stories, and most importantly, reflect their own values. In addition, Loyal has been featured by big names such as Vogue magazine, The New York Times, and supported by celebrities like Blake Lively and Jessica Alba. Was line is available to view at loyalstudio.com. I was lucky enough to sit down with Jenny to discuss her roots in sustainable fashion and her Raleigh debut. Hi, my name is Jenny Waugh, and I am the founder and creative director of Loyal. We are an apparel company based in Raleigh that focuses on transparent production. Awesome. And merging. So I guess just a little about yourself. Where are you from? Like, how'd you get started in fashion? Originally, I'm from the Bay Area, and that's really what um, drew my inspiration to sustainable fashion early on. Um, just kind of that movement of really being conscientious of where things come from and how they're produced. And so when I decided to move to New York to pursue a fashion design degree, I always knew I wanted to run my own company as well as make sure... That's really cool. Okay, so I read in um, the press release that you had worked with like Armani and Kate Spade. Do you want to talk about that at all? That's awesome. Most definitely... Well, to be honest, because I knew I wanted to run my own company, I became very focused on getting internships and working with companies that really inspired me, both from aesthetically or just really interesting brand philosophies. And so I would contact companies and try and get internships or even a career job with them. So um, with FIT and being in the area of New York, it was a great plethora of designers and companies to work for. And it was very neat. I got to work directly with Kate Spade when she was very early on with the company and learned so much from their PR side of things. And that's really where where you will see a lot of our brand identity comes from the ideology of what have great companies done in the past and how can we apply those ideas to our company as well. How did you realize you wanted to like do fashion and create your own line one day? Well... I always loved fabrics and silhouettes, and my grandmother had given me a lot of old-timey 1950s and 60s fashion illustration catalogs, and I loved them and always tried to illustrate things and design when I was very young. And I also liked the business side of things and decided to get a business degree first at Dominican University in San Rafael, California, and then focus on the fashion design degree so I could then pursue uh, founding my own company and sort of learning the ropes on that side. Awesome, cool. 
So you have mentioned that you are an ethical fashion designer. Are there a lot of challenges associated with this in the age it of fast fashion? It is a huge fashion? challenge, uh, not only from the design and production side, but even the consumer awareness side. Our sourcing was very challenging, which actually sort of delayed our relaunch. I moved down to the North Carolina area in 2009 and very early on hit a bunch of speed bumps with production facilities closing, different jobs going overseas or down uh, to the Caribbean basin. So it was really kind of sad as well as challenging from a business perspective, looking at communities being devastated by the loss of business opportunity, as well as for me and my company, kind of struggling to find the right sources to produce my garments. And that did create challenges, but also a lot of opportunity to learn lessons. And so I really wouldn't take that time back. But finding fabrics that are made in America, that are of the best quality, and even designer aesthetic was very challenging for us. And uh, the ideology of finding a factory that is local, that we could support and sort of be there for the whole process of production was challenging, but really became uh, a great turnaround story when we met up with Opportunity Threads based in Western North Carolina. So did you pick North Carolina because of our history Most of definitely. textiles? I really had enjoyed traveling down here to Asheville, some of the other smaller towns. Thought it was a really welcoming environment and there would be great opportunity here. And it has turned out that way. It was just a longer, more winding path than I thought. I could definitely see that, especially because Raleigh's become like a, an up and coming city. Maybe not as cool as New York. When I moved down here in 2009, I was so relieved to sort of be out of that crazy pace. And it has been nice to have these cultural amenities begin to grow and will also help support my brand and company and philosophies because it's just kind of a wonderful atmosphere for people coming in from all over the U.S. at this point to enjoy the same thing that drew me down here in the first place. Okay, I think I read in the press release that it said that you created a new line when you came down here. Well, basically, my company was founded in New York City in 2005, and I was running it there. And when I moved down here in 2009, I thought there'd be a small break in order to find production facilities. But that's when the challenges arose, and I definitely had to kind of recalibrate what I was thinking about. So this relaunch is really this kind of Loyal 2.0 that is all made in North Carolina and, you know, sort of focused on the community at large. Here. So I guess building off of that, what was like your inspiration for this line? Well, one of the wonderful things about living down here was the slower pace, but the culinary arts was really growing and coming into its own. And so I felt that really kind of being involved in the restaurant scene, being able to sort of go to events where Ashley Christensen was hosting dinner parties and talking about her sourcing. That is where my ideas and inspiration really came from to merge the concept of fashion and food. So we could really begin as a consumer in general to examine where are things that we buy coming from and what's the story behind them? Because so much behind food nowadays is artisanal product. People want to know the farmer, the grain perhaps that the animal was raised on or the soil, the vegetables were grown in. And that's where I really came to the ideology that fashion could be a very similar path and we could learn a lot from kind of the sourcing and the backstory. I was wondering what you meant by combining like food and fashion. 
It's very unusual and certainly something, you know, I think that this brand now reflects for me as sort of going down this longer journey than I expected. This idea that this brand is an evolution of what's more authentically me now and kind of wanting to merge all my passions into something that could serve the greater good in the community. What was it like creating this line and like finding your materials, etc.? Yes, it, it was a long road, certainly. And with fashion, a lot of people probably assume this, but it's not widely discussed. But it's very capital heavy. You have to have a lot of sort of savings lying by the wayside for fabrics or pattern development and then samples and then production. So we have looked through more than 100 different fabric sources throughout the U.S. and even abroad. And that's where we determined that we would make some samples up and have focus groups from local really neat cultural figures that would give us feedback on how the direction we were going was kind of the future of those ideas. And really the ideology too of entrepreneurship, um, focusing on the lean startup and looking at how you can create your idea, try and get it out there, sort of a minimum viable product, get feedback, and then begin to pivot with ideas and different insights that people give you along the way. So that's really a lot of what took um, time and energy to get to where we are today. Oh, that's very understandable. You probably answered this too, but I wrote, why did you want to debut in Raleigh? And it's, it was it because of the, the sources and the culture here? Most definitely. Well, Raleigh is my hometown now and have been enjoying living for several years. And to have a company based sort of in the creative and fashion realm I think it's exciting. There's not a lot of it happening here. I think it's changed even just in the last five years where it's kind of night and day at this point, but it does feel very fresh and exciting. And so for us to be based here, we sort of be part of the community, um, the triangle, it's just really kind of a great opportunity and we're really happy to be here. So I guess just to end it all, uh, is there anything else I missed? Well, really, Loyal's purpose is to create really meaningful clothing that makes you sort of think a lot more than just about fashion. Our sourcing, the transparency, ideology of really looking at all the different aspects of your life and being more thoughtful about what we purchase, what we wear, what we bring into our everyday life, I think is something that really inspires me now to sort of wake up and share these stories on our social platforms and website, but farmers and other sustainably sourced companies and chefs even. It's just a really um, sort of a dream come true for me to be able to feel like I can follow all these different passions and roads and have it make sense somehow. Uh, before like I even got this email from you, I was thinking about how I didn't really want to shop at Forever 21, places like that, because like, you know, they're so unsustainable and like it's a $5 top, but you know, where did it come from? Exactly, and there's so much to think about with that from the thread that was utilized to, you know, the sewers that made it in foreign lands. It's really important to think about our impact with our dollars and how we can make changes in just our life. It's not really, you know, we're not trying to reach our purpose as much as to sort of illuminate some topics that we think are very interesting and becoming more important as we look to support, you know, local designers or local purveyors or artisans 
and how now that's almost a trend. That's really something that should just be sort of in the you know, framework of our lives to improve where we can with small steps for the greater good of society. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Awesome. Any last words? Try and buy local. Think about who made your product and enjoy it to the fullest. And if you do enjoy it, email that company and let them know. I think a lot of founders kind of feel like they're in a vortex of, you know, just business and making products. But it's so nice to hear from people that use what you're making or enjoy and consume what you're making. And those little messages can go a long way for kind of building a great uh, community for the whole sort of society. I'd like to thank Jenny for coming in today. This has been Marissa Jordan for Eye on the Triangle. This review also appears in the NCSU student newspaper, The Technician, online at technicianonline.com. Perhaps the most highly regarded indie dream pop artist at the moment, Japanese Breakfast broke ground with their first release, Psychopomp, in 2016. Quickly garnering a cult following, the musical project of solo artist Michelle Zahner is known for its vibrant, spacey sound that conveys a range of complex emotions and ideas through its songs. Hoping to recapture that success, Japanese Breakfast released soft sounds from another planet around mid-July with very little fanfare or immediate reaction. A quiet debut. Now, while a lot of people flock to Japanese breakfast after hearing Psychopomp, I kinda kept my distance. While I respect the quality and craftsmanship of the album as well as its superior encapsulation of the dream pop genre, Psychopomp ultimately left me uninterested. It wasn't particularly my cup of tea, and I still think a fair amount of fans overestimate how good the album really is. My main complaint was that while it's a great refinement of the elements of dream pop and the songwriting is above acceptable, Psychopomp doesn't necessarily bring anything wholly original to the table, and its melodies aren't particularly ear-catching to those who are not already a fan of the genre. Regardless, it was indeed a quality album, if not a perfect one. Then along comes Soft Sounds from Another Planet, about a year later, and I could swear that it's from a completely different artist. Japanese Breakfast has abandoned a lot of the dream pop elements from Psychopomp in favor of a sound more comparable to generic EDM than indie electronica or alternative rock. Just like with Psychopomp, I'm left fairly disinterested and generally averse, but this time it's not because I just don't love Dream Pop. This time, it's because the album is wholly generic, middle-of-the-road electronica with no real highs or lows that neither progresses nor refines the Dream Pop genre or the electronica genre. To be perfectly honest, this doesn't come fully as a surprise. I didn't expect to fall in love with the new album, but I also didn't expect to dislike it so much after only three listens. What I expected was another logical refinement of the dream pop genre, and perhaps some innovation from an artist that I saw as immensely talented and capable of more. Soft Sounds from Another Planet feels like a step backwards from an artist capable of much more. There are hints of that talented songwriting on this album as well, but it doesn't particularly materialize into anything coherently great. Songs like Diving Woman and Twelve Steps both contain fantastic lyricism, a real emotional basis, and interesting structure, but all of this is lost in the boring malaise of generic electronic synth sounds and vocals that don't venture much out of mid-range. This is not a bad album by any means, but it's not a good one. It's boring, lacks innovation, and refines very little. Is it pleasant? Yes. 
Is it captivating? Not really at all. Having listened to this album all the way through only three times, I already find myself averse to the concept of another listen. It's not a repulsion to the concept, but instead an utter lack of motivation to hit the play button once more. Perhaps Soft Sounds from Another Planet was meant as an adventure into new territory, a foray into a new sound meant to bring new inspiration to mind for Japanese breakfast. If so, it comes off as an unnecessary risk that unfortunately didn't pay out. While I wasn't personally a fan of Psychopomp, I think Japanese Breakfast had a lot of room to grow with that sound, and would be better served exploring it a bit further before trying to change things up again. Though this album might have been a bit disappointing, I have hope that the next one can be something great. That's all for today. Thanks again for listening in.